You're entering the Side Mission Podcast. Three friends that love gaming and love experiencing original content and old school classics give their thoughts on the latest releases and newest topics in the gaming industry. Power up and let's get started. Welcome in everyone to the newest episode of Side Mission and boy do we have a doozy today. As always... I'm Rusty Ellis, your host, and I'm joined by the boys, Kyle Lynch and Matt Beck. And boys, it is time to finally reveal, after all of us voted, we ranked our favorite games. This episode is going to be completely based around the side mission game of the year top 10. We voted over 17 or 18 games, how many games in total were voted on in this time. We narrowed it down to our top 10. Almost had a tiebreaker. Where the boys would have had to play a Crash Bandicoot 4 level to break the tie. They would have hated me. But, <laughs> thankfully they don't have to do that. Before we get into the actual top 10, we are going to go through some honorable mentions. Starting first with all of the games that received votes, but did not make the top 10. So, first up, receiving a single 10th place vote. Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2 remake. Kyle was the only one to vote for it, and he put it in 10th place, so it really had no chance at all of making the ranking. So, <laughs> great game, right, Kyle? But it just didn't make it. Oh, yeah. So, up next, I guess just Team Ubisoft decided to copy each other because two more games that received three votes apiece but did not make it in Assassin's Creed Valhalla and Watch Dogs Legion. And to be honest, it, Matt, if you told me at the beginning of the year that Valhalla would not make it into our top 10, I think I would have been shocked. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm still shocked right now. <laughs> <laughs> Matt's, Matt's the only one that voted for it. You, you, you put it relatively high, Matt worth pointing out. Matt is the only one that voted for both Watch Dogs and for Valhalla. And neither one of them made the list. Also receiving four points, our two final games on this list, Saints Row 4 Remastered, it got a pretty big vote from Kyle, and Sackboy <laughs> also did not make it at four points. That was voted on by Matt. So that, it, you know what that means. That means your host here, all ten of my games made it onto the list, so I'm pretty pumped about that. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but, boys, are you ready to hear? Because before we get into this, it is important to point out, Matt and Kyle have no idea how the rankings played out they have no idea how the 10 games were ranked they're about to find out are you guys ready i'm ready all right so in 10th place and i really can't believe this made the list i i calculated this on sunday really can't believe this made the list but in 10th place with five points the weirdest game of 2020 bug snacks <laughs> <laughs> bug snacks <laughs> without a doubt the weirdest game of 2020 uh it, i i really don't know how this made the list but it was so weird kyle and so fun that at the same time while i don't know how it made the list i think at the same time it doesn't really surprise me that it made the list oh yeah i think this was definitely the weirdest game we've ever played uh, <laughs> it was just so it was so wacky from the very beginning and I think that what really drew us to it is how simple and fun it was because I didn't I don't think we expected to play this game for longer than an hour and we actually enjoyed it and played it all the way through Matt even platinumed it like we talked about before. Yeah. I mean it was it was a surprisingly fun game. 
It was indeed. It, it was one of those that I think the only thing I didn't like about it was that it sequel baited at the end, and there wasn't really a need for a sequel. This is a game that I think, Matt, that people are going to get to the end, and <laughs> I don't know if there's words to describe kind of the last 30 minutes of this game. Yeah, those last 30 minutes, uh, the game took a dark turn that I did not see coming. You had this like happy-go-lucky, like bright, colorful characters, and then it just like t- 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 pulls a 180 at the very end there. I'm not going to say anything about that, just in case some people like you know you want to check it out, which I highly recommend. It's a great game. But uh, yeah, that was uh, that was crazy just to see that twist at the end and. Uh, as far as the uh, the ending goes, yeah, sequel baiting, don't do it. Just don't. <laughs> I agree. Do not sequel bait, especially when it's not warranted. But we're going to move on. <laughs> so coming in at number nine, and oh boy, this is going to be an interesting one to discuss right here. I'm kind of nervous about this one. Uh, number nine, arguably Nintendo's biggest release of the year, and I don't think there's anything arguably about it, it's Animal Crossing New Horizons with eight points. It comes in at ninth overall. Worth pointing wow. out, Matt put it in the top five. I think I put it, the only game that I put below it was Bugsnax, the just to be honest, <laughs> the only game I put below was Bucks X. But as as much as I do feel that this game benefited from having a pandemic happen right after it was released, I can't deny that this is a great game. Matt, you've been a huge fan of the series just the entire time it's been a franchise. What is it that makes this the definitive Animal Crossing? Honestly, it's the fact that they took everything from the old games and they added some new things here and there, and it it just built up on such a successful formula that, you know, we've seen the Animal Crossing games are some of the highest selling games that there are because it appeals to just more than just, you know, gamers. It appeals to people who don't really like, you know, game for hours on end. It's just like a casual pick me up type of game. And that's what Animal Crossing, you know, fills those needs for those specific gamers. And again, um, I like the introduction of the DIY systems. It's fantastic. We've seen uh, that coming from the mobile game uh, Pocket Camp. And uh, it was just a great evolution of the series, especially taking it like the online. It's a, it's a lot of fun. It could, you know, get some things fixed up here and there. Loving the seasons right now. There's snow on my island. It's <laughs> snow, man. It's great. There's just always something new going on and just take it one day at a time. And that's not a calling out to people who time travel. Uh, Kyle. Yeah, that, that's, what's all, that's all I have to say on that. <laughs> well, Kyle, talk to us a little bit about it because this was a game that we played a lot when it first came out. I think for the first three weeks it was out, we played every day for hours on end. And one of the most heated debates we've ever had on this podcast is just about time travel. But I think I think that there's a reason that was left in, and I think that this is a game that you can enjoy with time travel or without. Oh yeah, for sure. This this game was definitely um it, when it came out, it was a lot of fun. I think that uh I got burnt out really quickly on it, but it doesn't mean that it wasn't a fun game for other people, especially for us like you were saying when uh first came out, we were playing every day. We would always visit each other's islands and we would just vibe honestly. Yeah. I think that was the biggest draw to it is, you know, it's not a fast-paced, action-packed, you know, you got to be going 50 miles an hour wherever you're going, no breaks. It was, hey, you want to just hang out with your friends in a virtual world in an island that you created? Go for it. Do whatever you want. I agree. It was, it was a lot of fun to do that. It was a lot of fun. 
It was indeed. I agree. And I, I think that I don't agree with this game being in the game of the year discussion just because, I, again, I feel like it coming out alongside the time when the pandemic really hit, I feel like it benefited from that. And I feel like without that, it would still be popular, but that might take a hit. But even still, it's a great game. Uh, it's definitely Nintendo's best release so far this year, in my opinion. And uh, if you would like to know, it is based on what I'm looking at the list. It is Nintendo's only inclusion on the list. So it came in at ninth overall. So it's worth pointing out. So moving down to number eight, this this spot was one point above Animal Crossing, or nine points overall, and it is a game that has sparked some interesting conversation about whether or not it is a full game or just high-priced DLC. You know it, you love it. It's Spider-Man Miles Morales coming in at eighth overall with nine points. Wow. And this was a game I think I expected to be a little bit higher um, but due to the fact that Matt didn't really play it all that much before he voted, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm just kidding. Um, it's still a great game. I think that any game that made this top 10 is a really, really good game. And Kyle, Miles Morales is no different. Oh, absolutely. I loved the game for what it was. And a lot, I, I think there was a big uh, portion of people who definitely, like you're saying, thinks this game is just high priced DLC. I have to disagree there. I think that this was a fully fleshed game, even though it wasn't as long or you know as big as Spider-Man PS4. It was still its own game. It gave us its own environment. It kind of opened up, like I think you mentioned uh, previously on the podcast. It opened up that more of you know the Harlem feeling. It wasn't just you know New York. And here's this little section with you know some Easter eggs there. It really felt like you were playing as Miles Morales' own story, and it wasn't just branched off of you know some main franchise. And it was really good that they were able to bring that immersion from what basically was a branch off from a main franchise. They gave it that heart and soul that made it its own game. I agree. And Matt, I think that one reason I think, you know, you haven't played it as much as me and Kyle have, I think that... What you need to the reason why you should play it is that it doesn't feel like a copy and paste from New York in Spider Man PS4. It very much feels like it's its own thing, and it feels like Spanish Harlem, or it just feels like Harlem in general. It feels very much like an accurate recreation of what it is like in real life. And personally, it just has all the love and care of the Spider Man PS4 game, but given a different story and given a different character. And I think as a whole, Matt, you really need to jump back into it because it is fantastic. Oh, yeah. I, I'm planning on it. Um, I will probably be looking to it during the uh, Christmas break, actually. Fair enough. So, moving on to number seven. Fun fact, this is the first game in the ranking that all three of us put on our list. And all right. it's a game that <laughs> I'm not sure there's a game that I raged at more this year, but I still liked <laughs> it enough to put it on my list. The boys still loved it enough to put it on their list. It was our tiebreaker game, and that is Crash Bandicoot 4. It's about time with 11 points, two points above Spider-Man Miles Morales. Wow. So okay. it, so it, it had a little bit of separation there. But, Kyle, you're a veteran of the series. What is it about oh. Crash Bandicoot 4 that I think this is the best entry in the franchise? What do you think? I Yes, I have to agree. This is absolutely the best game for for me, this is one of the best games of the year. Yes. I didn't rank it as high as some of the others because I don't think that my personal, you know, um uh tie to this game should put those games above, you know, put that game above others. But for me, this was everything I could have ever hoped for in a Crash Bandicoot 4. 
I have played this series since the PS1, the very first three games. It's been a long time since we've had such a faithful, you know, uh, not recreation of the original games, but twist on what it was with new features. It was it was absolutely the best Crash Bandicoot, you know, for we could have ever gotten. And I didn't even know if we were going to get one for the longest time until, you know, Toys for Bob redid the uh, the original trilogy. And there was a lot of that, you know, going back and forth, rumors of a fourth game. And then when it came out from day one, I was just pleased the way it started up. Crash was on the beach and I felt like I was a kid again playing the original trilogy on my PlayStation 1, it was fantastic. I absolutely loved every single level, even if I did have some moments where I raged a lot. <laughs> you mean to tell me you love Cortex Castle? Hold on now, bro. Come on I'll now. I'll never play Cortex Castle again. <laughs> that would have been y'all's tiebreaker, and there's part of me that wished we had seen that, but I, I agree with everything you just said. You know, as someone that I played, you know, the Crash games as a kid, and I really enjoyed them, um, this is one that... I don't know if this is a game that I was really anticipating big time this year, but when it came out, gosh, I was so excited. And uh, without a doubt, favorite level in the game, offbeat, the Mardi Gras level. It's just so cool. There's so much detail in each of these levels. Uh, Matt, what stuck out to you in this game? Um, honestly, for me, coming from, I have played previous Crash games uh, back on the PlayStation 1. Um, I took a huge break from it once Naughty Dog stopped developing them and uh, Activision started developing them with their own uh, studios. But what stuck to me, most to me, were uh, the power-ups. I thought those were really cool. I thought that they were well utilized in each level that they were introduced in. I also thought that they were very rage-inducing sometimes, uh, (laughs) especially in uh, Cortex Castle when you have to use all of them one right after the other, and you better pray that you remember the right buttons and the right abilities because you have to literally use them within seconds of each other. But (laughs) they were a fantastic uh, addition to the series. Would I want them back? Probably not. Uh, They can stay in this game. They they perfectly belong in there. Um, But... The everything about the game, I think it was you know perfectly fleshed out. Uh, the levels were great, well designed. Um, it, it was it was hard. The the difficulty it definitely had a difficulty spike here and there from right after you beat the first level. Everything else after that just kind of you know wanted to beat you into a pulp. But it was still <laughs> a lot of fun. The music was great. Um, there's not a lot of things that I can complain about other than the crates. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with that. Well. We're moving on to number six in the ranking, and I'm not excited about this one. I'm not excited to. Uh, I'm not excited to reveal what number six is. But um, with 12 points, a single point above Crash Bandicoot Four, which means it was almost in seventh place. I think at the beginning of the year, when we asked ourselves what is our game of the year pick before all these games come out, this was unanimously our pick. It's the most recent game to come out on the list. That's right. At number six, it is Cyberpunk 2077. It ended up outside of the top five. (laughs) Worth pointing out, the fifth place game was two points above it. And it was also three points away from fourth, and it was five points away from third. It was was a pretty distant. One and two on the list are pretty distantly above everything else. So... But Cyberpunk 2077 comes in at six, and it's a great game. Like I hope that people hear that and understand that it's not that we dislike this game. We are really enjoying this game. It is a great story. Night City is a fantastic setting. 
The reason this game is coming in at sixth, though, is because two of us are playing it on console. And on console, <laughs> it just doesn't look good. It doesn't look great. And I know that sounds like we're obsessing yeah. over one thing over another. And, yeah, Matt's playing it on a Series X. I'm playing it on a Series S. And that's it runs fine. There's no no frame rate you know, drops into the single digits that I've experienced personally. But the game just doesn't look amazing. And that's because it wasn't optimized for, you know, next-gen systems. And that's okay. I mean, that will come. But with all the delays, it's hard to argue for that being being a thing. So that's why it comes in at sixth. But that's the only re- time we're going to talk negatively. Kyle, you've really loved this game. What are you loving about it right now? Oh, I, I love the setting. I love the characters. I love the the combat is beautiful. I, I got to say, I am a little bit more of a fan of the melee combat than the gun Ooh, combat. It's, okay. it's just, I don't know, it just hits different sometimes. You know, when you're slashing people with swords or, you know, even with just the fist when you're just beating them up, dude, it's something. It's just so much more fun. And I don't know, maybe I'm just spoiled through, you know, Call of Duty because the, <laughs> the gun combat in that is so tight. It's, you know, so precise sometimes because if you're playing in multiplayer, you never know. The hitboxes are just randomized. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's just the gun combat in this is good. It's just, you know, it feels a little bit loose. And that could just be that my character doesn't have a whole lot of perks and, you know, skills in uh, the uh, the gunplay skill trees. But I don't know, dude. The melee combat is just a, a lot of fun. But aside from that, the the world, I, I'm playing it on PC. And I got to say, it's everything that the game was made up to be on PC. That's just the the biggest draw to this, I think, is playing it on PC. I definitely agree with what Rusty was saying about how this game should have been optimized for console much, much better than it, you know, what we got. It's if you're playing it on a base PS4 or Xbox One, it, I mean, that's a joke. Good luck. <laughs> like good luck. nobody yeah. expected that to look good. <laughs> but on the PS4 Pro, on the Xbox Series X, there's no there's no excuse. You know, it's it should have been optimized, but it is coming, and I'm glad that they have addressed it and that they understand. Hey, what we did, you know, wasn't okay. Mm-hmm. We're trying to fix it, and you know, they did offer. I saw that they offered a refund for anybody who did not enjoy or did not like, you know, their copy of the game. And it's, I think, I think that was a good move on their part. That is a topic we'll talk about on another day because I think we should discuss that. The fact that they knowingly released the game like this. They did say sorry, and I'll give them that credit, but I am not okay with them knowingly releasing the game the way they did on console. But that's a topic for another day. I'm not going to get into you know critiquing that right now. Um, Matt, what, what do you think is the draw in the long run in this game? What is it about this game that people maybe four months from now uh, will find in this game? Well, it's because I, I the way I see it is Night City is such a well crafted design and and believed world that it's like it it, it has a, it's a certain immersion into the game, and there's so much there's so much around. Like I'm not too far into the game, I I, uh, but I'm very much enjoying it, and it's something that I'm always going to be coming back to to be playing it, um, especially once we start seeing some more details about the online, but. Uh, that's a ways off from now. It's just we need to get that uh, PlayStation Five and Series X and S, uh, you know, versions coming out next year. Um, but I think I think the music is fantastic. Um, oh the yeah. Graphics. The graphics. I mean, I 
I'm coming off from playing, you know, some very well-looking games like, you know, Demon's Souls and Sackboy and yeah. Spider-Man. These games all look great and utilize the HDR. And, like, I even had to message Kyle when I was uh, playing the game. And I said, hey, man, what's wrong with this game? Because it looks really, like, washed out. And uh, I sent him a picture. And I looked up, and it turned out that apparently HDR is not active on the game right now. <laughs> the HDR right? Last, is... There's no point. In the HDR, HDR setting is there, but it's not real. <laughs> it's not real. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what? It's like... It's like the settings are there. You can mess around with the settings. That's just what I did, but it changed yeah. nothing. Like we were, we were told that you know this game should have ray tracing. Not there. Oh, absolutely I, not. Severely disappointed with the way the game looks. Now, graphically, it I can see I can see how it's going to look. You know, I've seen it running on the PC and it looks amazing. Yes, like they actually had it running really well on there. Um, and I really want to see Night City come to life. Like we saw in the previews and all that, like the trailers look phenomenal, but um, because it just goes back to this game should have, you know, stayed in the oven a little longer. I know it would have disappointed a lot more people, you know, probably canceling more pre-orders and all that. But it's like as a company, CDPR, you know, you messed up and, you know. We see it a lot of the times with developers, but you know we know that I know when when Witcher Three first came out, it had its problems. But yeah. you know, CPR, they you know they took the uh, they they took all of that and they made it into what it is today. And with the future DLC that came out with it, it turned into a fantastic game. And I see the same potential for Cyberpunk. So I'm definitely going to keep playing it. I want to beat the main campaign. I want to try out all the different life paths and see exactly what it changes. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to Keanu Reeves on his yes. uh, character, yes. Giant Silverhand here. What fantastic. Well, hopefully love to see him get uh, some awards next year for the uh, you know game awards and all that. Mm-hmm. I agree. This is a game that, you know, I agree with what you said about The Witcher 3. When we look at it, the Witcher 3 had its problems when it was first released. Maybe not to this extent, but even still, it had its problems. But if you look at it now, I think a lot of people, myself included, would consider The Witcher 3 to be objectively the best game to come out last generation. Uh, at least I believe it is. So, with that being said, boys, it's time to move into the top five. And we're starting with a doozy. At number five, two points above sixth place, Cyberpunk. At number five, we have the first and only next-gen exclusive on the list. Matt mentioned it earlier. It's Demon Souls. <laughs> now, okay. Okay. At, it got 14 points. Worth pointing out that only me and Matt voted for it. So you're probably wondering, well, how in the world did it end up in fifth place? If I'm going to be honest with you, I love this game so much, I ranked this game second overall. Okay. I ranked the game second overall. I loved it that much. It's my first time ever playing Demon Souls, and I've heard so many people talk about it and talk about the designs of it and how it was really what laid the foundation for all From Software games, and it's just fantastic. I love the boss fights. The False King Alant fight at the very end is a thrill ride. It's really, it's really anime, and I love it. It's, it's, it's so. There's so much to love about this game. And I think that this is a really good access point for those people who are able to get a PS5. If you've never played a Souls game, this is a great place to start. The very beginning, it's not nearly as challenging as Dark Souls, and it's not really as challenging as a game as I'd say like Sekiro or even Bloodborne, but it still has enough of a challenge in it to where when you defeat a boss, you feel this rewarding sense of accomplishment. 
and it's fantastic. Matt, what have you thought about Demon Souls so far, the remake on PS5? I love the fact that the developers at Blue Point Studios really stuck to the true style and, like, uh, you know, remade uh, Demon Souls, which was one of From Software's very first forays into this genre. And I love being able to go back and just see everything, you know, redone, remastered. Uh, it just looks fantastic. Like, it's probably the best looking game, not going to lie. The best looking game that I have played this year. Yes. Um, and there's a lot of contenders up for that. So uh, the music has been one of my favorite things from, from software has in all their games. And the redesigned enemies, because now that we have much stronger hardware, the enemies are far more capable of doing like newer moves. And uh, the animations are beautiful. Running at 60 frames is how I was playing it. And uh, love the weapon combat system. It should revitalize that. So each individual weapon has like its own um, attack now. Uh, so when you parry... Uh, and you go in, and it does all all these new animations that we didn't see in the original. Mm-hmm. Um, and atmosphere is just so much better with these newer, with you know, the power of the PlayStation Five, which you can really see. Blue Point Studios used it uh, very well, and I think this studio is a fantastic upbringing to like do re- remaking, remastering some of Sony's best games because they did Shadow of the Colossus not a couple years back on the mm-hmm. PlayStation Four. So I'm very happy with what we got. Uh, I have absolutely no complaints. It feels very familiar and it feels very new. I think it's a great entry point for, you know, new fans who have not played Dark Souls or Bloodborne, anything like that. I think this is a great stepping stone into that because, yeah, it's a little easier compared to some of those other games. And I think that's what makes it the perfect entry for new, uh, you know, for new players compared to. And, and the same thing that goes for the veterans because. You know, we've already kind of done this whole song and dance with the boss fights. You know, From Software has created this whole new genre where fighting bosses is like your main, your you know, your main path here. And super excited to see like what else we get from From Software or even Blue Point Studios because I think that they have well earned a spot in Sony Studios if you know Sony does plan on buying them. So I've heard. So shout out to them for such an amazing. Uh, remaster or remake. I mean, yeah, uh, here. So uh, there you go. Yeah, I agree with everything you just said. This is such a phenomenal remake done by Blue Point Studios. They should be commended by really keeping the feeling of this game the same as the PS3 original version. Uh, Kyle, I know that you're not necessarily the Souls veteran that matter. I uh, that matter and I are, but. Uh, that was terrible grammar there, but I mean, the listeners will get over it, (laughs) but (laughs) Kyle, what have you thought of it so far? What are your thoughts of this game? Um, the, the graphics 100% agree. They are amazing. They're so beautiful. This game definitely feels like I bought this console for a reason. It's not just, you know, another, like, I, I don't want to say that, you know, the, the games that came out last gen don't look as good, but this console has new hardware for these kinds of games, and this is such a great game to show off on the PS5. It's beautiful. I remember what really stuck out to me was um, when <laughs> I was running across that bridge that the dragon comes across that we killed very early on in the game. It came flying overhead, and 
I had my headset on playing and just the immersion, the sound that it made watching this insanely huge dragon come across and just spew fire all across this bridge. It was such a captivating image, just beautiful. And I remember when we saw this trailer, you texted me, Rusty, and you're like, hey, did you see Vanguard? Because you sent me that picture of him <laughs> and then you sent me the side by side from, you know, what he looked like way, way, way back at the first game. That was mind blowing that they really made this, you know, what just looked like a, a gray blob so just not not necessarily realistic, but as real as, you know, something like that would be. You could see you pointed out the blood on, you know, just his skin, every scale, every single part of him was visible. And it was so beautiful to see, you know, that come to life, you know, for players like you and Matt who have, you know, been with this series since the beginning. I can't imagine that, you know, the kind of feeling that that must be for you to see this oh, yeah. game come to life the way it did. It's one of those where you feel you feel like this is why I game. I game to to have experiences like this. And the best part is is that you know it revitalizes online for this game because obviously the servers for this. I don't know if you guys knew this. The servers for the original Demon Souls got shut down in 2018, so there was yeah. no more online. So I love that that was revitalized along with all this because it really. This is I think. It's very close to overtaking Bloodborne as my favorite Souls game because I just enjoyed it so much and I can't wait to play through it again and again and again. I loved it. Yeah. It was absolutely amazing. So, moving on to number four. Speaking of remakes. <laughs> with 15 points coming in one point above Demon Souls, it's the other big remake that came out this year and I think a lot of people felt when this game queued up the same way I felt when I queued Demon Souls up, it's Final Fantasy VII Remake. And this was a game, I remember I bought this game on a hunch, and I, I, it was right as the pandemic, right as the lockdown started. I bought this game, I'd never played the original, and I remember, if y'all remember that weekend when I first had it, I played about 35 hours over that weekend just to blitz through it, and I, I loved it. Uh, Matt, talk about this game and what you think makes this game a good remake. This game is honestly one of my favorites this year, and I played the original Final Fantasy VII on the PlayStation 1, and I think what I absolutely loved was Midgar felt more like, um, um, not just so much a map, but it felt like uh, you know, a, a living, breathing place to live, and they gave it so much life, and the combat system was revitalized to be more modern, but if you, you still like prefer the old RPG um Turn-based, you know, you had that option. You um, always always talk about the music <laughs> when it comes to uh, Final Fantasy, and this game did not disappoint with uh, the new versions of the battle theme, um, Eris theme. The voice acting was phenomenal as well. They did great on the casting um, and new mission uh, mission structures that they introduced that added a lot of padding to the game. Um, so. One thing I will point out in this game is this is not the Final Fantasy VII you remember. Story-wise, it's very close to the original, but there are a lot of twists and turns, and I thought the game has been long enough to you know talk about. So it def definitely comes off with the fact that they are not going to go in the direction that we thought they were, and it makes me super excited to see what we're going to get with you know the part two. 
And again, I love how it stuck with, you know, a fantastic story because Final Fantasy VII is one of my all-time favorite games. Uh, the characters are so, uh, so you know, well-made. Uh, they're not one-dimensional like you see in a lot of other games. They have personalities. They redid a lot of the original stories, and it works out. It works out for the better, honestly. And I cannot wait to see, like, what kind of, you know, direction that they're going to go in with the new one. And I love, love, love how, you know, well-designed this game was. You know, the creators were still from the original. You know, we're still behind it. And I cannot express enough how excited I was when this game was first announced uh, years and years and years ago. Because this game has had several different delays, but it was well worth the wait. And I am just so happy that Square Enix decided to go back into Final Fantasy VII and bring it to a new generation of players. And old fans, new fans alike can experience what was probably the best Final Fantasy game. I agree. You know, Kyle, it's kind of nostalgic looking back on it for me because, you know, this year has been so long. You know, we've we've said this year, there are all the memes that say, you know, oh, we're in year 30 or we're in month 36 of 2020. And I think that one example of this is that do y'all remember like back when Final Fantasy 7 Remake came out? That's when we started this podcast. That's kind of that's kind of yeah, yeah. crazy. That was, yeah. that was on our first episode. It's kind of crazy to think about that. Think about how crazy, uh, how crazy this year has been. So, but it's a great game. I, I'm really happy with it. It's one of those that I might go back and replay just because I mean I want to experience it again. It was really really fun. So, uh, into the top three we go, and this top three uh, was a doozy. So coming in at third. At 17 points, two points above fourth place, what I personally believe of the last decade is to be is this is the best first person shooter we have seen in the last decade. It's Doom Eternal. Doom Eternal comes in at third, and this is just a fantastic game, fantastic. And Kyle, I know you loved it. That's where you really started streaming. Talk about it, man. What was it about this game that you really loved when it first came out? Man, this was everything. Just the way they really improved on Doom 2016. It was Doom 2016 was such an amazing game, such an amazing kind of reboot of the franchise. And a lot of people were left wondering, okay, we know we're getting a second game, but what are they going to do to make it better? And they just blew it out of the water. I think one of the one of the best things was the way they really made the enemies because they could have copied and pasted the enemy models from you know one game to another updated the shading updated you know some of the graphics and called it a day they changed so many smaller details of the enemies you know what whether it be uh the eye colors or whether it be you know um the so they had the way they built the enemies was they built them with you know uh skeletons meat and then you've got the outer shell so that when you shot them it actually would blow you know pieces of them off and uh you didn't have that in the old game the old game you know you shoot them you get a blood splatter on the enemy and they die but or you know you can you know blow off limbs or whatever but it was really interesting to see how detailed they really made these enemies not just on the outside but the inside it was definitely shown in the final boss fight of the game where you fight that giant demon and mm-hmm. the entire time you're just weathering away at his armor and then at his skin until you're fighting just a skeleton version of him. 
it was it was such a great experience for a sequel to probably one of my favorite games of 2016. I cannot wait to see the third and hopefully not final game whenever we do get it. Uh, I I gotta say I have a lot of hopes for this next uh, entry in the franchise. I agree. I, I think that this was, like I said, this is the best first-person shooter of the last decade. I think of the last generation, this is the definitive first-person shooter. It really revitalized, along with Modern Warfare last year and Cold War this year, I think that it really revitalized a genre that needed it. And it was very, very fresh. I loved it. Even at the last few levels, were really rage-inducing over the uh, the platforming. But... I mean, it is what it is. I love the final boss fight. I think it was fantastic. Before we get into our top two, because I think we all, I think we all three know what games are left. We know what remains. Before we get into that, we're going to do some honorable mentions. So first, Matt, what is your honorable mention that did not make the list? So my honorable mention is actually Nintendo's last big release of this year, which was Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity. I highly suggest it if you're a Zelda fan, if you play the original Hyrule Warriors on the Wii U or even the Switch port as well. Um, it is a fantastic blend of the uh, Musou genre that you see with Dynasty Warriors, and a lot of different types of games have also adapted to this kind of play style along the likes of like Dragon Quest, uh, Persona is even having one next year. It's a lot of fun. Uh, there's a lot of um, a lot of things to do. It's not just your typical, you know, running around beating the same enemies over and over again. Um, it's, it serves as a fantastic prequel to Breath of the Wild, which is one of the best games of the generation. And, uh, you know, giving us more of a backstory on the age of, uh, you know, the Calamity Ganon and, and the... Uh, uh, the, uh, the Guardians, excuse me, Guardians uh, taking over, and I love to see all the characters that we watched in Breath of the Wild fleshed out, uh, such as Urbosa and the other Guardians. Fantastic uh, voice acting is really good. It's a, it's a little hit or miss on some points, and I mean, I, I just suggest it. If you're a Zelda fan, you have no reason not to play this game. Kyle, what about you? What what was your what was your honorable mention? Uh, my honorable mention was actually Rusty's favorite game that ever released. It's Super Mario 64. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. No, no, I kid. It's uh, it's Destroy All Humans. It was it was a really fun game to just kind of take a break and play this sandbox, uh, you know, uh, really open, kind of open world. They had different levels. They had different, you know, worlds, but... Essentially, you could really do whatever you want. You could destroy the entire town. They had missions to do. They were at little side quests, but uh, it was it was just a nice break from all of the really fast paced, you know, multiplayer, crazy story driven games that were coming out. You know, it was just a fun, wacky uh, game that had a lot of jokes that were you know a little bit outdated, but having grown up, you know, in the '90s, it was you know some of them were still kind of funny to me. <laughs> I enjoy that kind of, you know, corny, outdated humor sometimes, but I think that it was it was definitely came out the right time. It was also around uh, you know, all the lockdowns, all the all the crazy stuff happening and it it was a lot of fun for me to go through and play, you know, a game that I didn't necessarily have the chance to play when I was younger. 
Yeah, I agree. It was a really, really fun release for sure. My honorable mention goes to another game that came out really recently, and that's Immortals Phoenix Rising. Uh, I'm still very early on in it. I am really loving it, though. If you're a Breath of the Wild fan, I feel like you have to try this game because obviously it's very, very similar. I do think that it manages to be different. Um, I'm someone that I love the Greek gods. I love learning more about that kind of lore. So I've loved it so far. I love the gameplay. I think that the story is kind of fun and kind of wacky. It doesn't really take itself completely seriously. Um, I love the way that uh, Zeus and Prometheus narrate it. I I think that there's a lot of really, really cool aspects to this game. The map is huge. There's a lot to do. I think this is a game you've definitely got to try, especially if you're a Breath of the Wild fan. And even if you're not, give it a try. You might surprise yourself. You might really love it. But it is time to reveal our top two. Worth pointing out, Doom Eternal scored 17 points and was third. Second place scored 24 points and was seven points above it. So there was there was there was a fair bit of space between number three and number two. So our second place game. It's a game that was up for a lot of awards, including Game of the Year and Best Performance. It's a game from a studio that doesn't put out a lot of releases, but typically when they do, it's a heavy hitter. And it's a game that I think all three of us can widely say we really, really enjoyed. Coming in at second place from Sucker Punch Studios, it is Ghost of Tsushima. It is a game that I think all of us can really say that we loved. And, I mean, obviously we all gave it, we all gave it pretty high marks when we voted for it. All, it was really high in all three of our lists, and... I'm going to let you guys take over this one. Obviously, I think all three of us platinumed it, didn't we? We did. Yeah, all three of us platinumed it, so that tells you all you need to know there. Kyle, uh, this was your this was your vote for game of the year. This was your number one. Uh, why was it your number one? Um, i got to say, the, the story, the graphics, the setting, everything about this game was beautiful. I loved the way the music was composed. I loved... You know, the way the sounds when you were just riding a horse through, you know, an open field, you could hear the birds chirping. You could hear, you know, the 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 water trickling and the waterfalls down the ponds. I mean, it was such a calming game at times, you know, if you just were out there exploring. And then it could do a complete 180 and throw you into this insane fast-paced action sequence where you're fighting just six or seven Mongols at once. And the flow of the combat between stances, the use of the ghost weapons, the assassinations, uh, the assassination mechanics, where just everything was so good. It was so tight, so smooth. I, I gotta say, this was this was definitely deserving of game of the year. I think that all all three of these, you know, are which <laughs> we already know, Doom Eternal was also another high one on there for yes. me. Yes, but. This game, this game definitely beat out Doom Eternal solely because it was just so graphically impressive. The way, you know, when you first get out there after the prologue and you see the sun shining on, you know, the open field and you're coming out of the trees, it's just, oh, it's such a beautiful game. Matt, tell me something, man. Is this the best combat system you've seen in a game this year? It is definitely one of the most notable combat systems that I have seen, not just this year, but in like many, many different generations of games. Like it's it's a it's an adoption of previous types of combat we have seen, but it's also something that's new as well. Um, the the different use of stances and how they uh, affect certain enemy types, certain characters with spears, uh, you know, 
uh, enemies who shoot arrows. I think the fact that each individual stance that has its own specific traits, I think, was a very well put into the game. And I love how it flows with between each stance change. Like, the combat is just, it flows like water, as I will say. Um, <laughs> the game itself is highly recommended if you have not played it this year. You have no excuse not to play it. Sucker Punch went way above my expectations, especially coming off from their previous games uh, with Infamous Second Son. And I have this this look at uh, Sucker Punch Studios because I started playing off with you know the original game release of uh, Sly Cooper, and I love to see developers going into a new type of genre, going stepping out of their comfort zone and creating an entirely new cinematic experience, which this game is absolutely a cinematic experience. It harkens back to the days of old samurai movies. They even have specific settings that you can have like black and white. Uh, you can even play the game, an entirely fully voiced Japanese cast, which I think on my second playthrough, I'm actually going to do that because I want to feel more like a samurai movie, more like what the game is celebrating. And the voice acting is great. Uh, even uh, voice actor Jen even got a uh, nomination. Um, I think uh, the, the uh, one thing I will definitely say this and shout out to Sucker Punch Studios. You did a fantastic job with the open world. Fast travel was nothing. I, it was like we were playing uh, PlayStation 5 games with that type of loading. And the world That's is beautiful. True. There's so much to explore. The shrines, the different ways to get to these shrines. Um, so much. There's so much to do. And it does not get repetitive. Because that's one thing that a lot of open world games fail to do. Is that is to make, you know, you want to do these kind of things. Like That's why I platinum this game. Because I did not get bored. And... The music is so beautiful with, you know, that, that type of Japanese uh, instrumental. It's just so, so gorgeous. And I really hope that we see a sequel in the future. Plus, I have to shout out probably some of the best after launch uh, content. Yes. Yeah, yes. With, their, uh, with their multiplayer, which was also a lot of fun. Albeit sometimes I felt a little unfair in the difficulty, but uh, we, we looking at you raids. Before, but they did, <laughs> <laughs> they did, they did a really good job, especially because these characters that are uh, that you hear the stories about in the main game, you you get to play as these characters in the multiplayer, and they're excellently used. Um, I'm a huge fan of Japanese culture, so seeing that type of game getting such a big release and getting so much attention. Made me so happy to see it. I agree. It's just a fantastic game as a whole. Sucker Punch should be commended for putting out such a great game. And it, if you think about it, it's the last PS4 exclusive uh, that came out on that generation of consoles. So they 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 really That's ended true. it with a flurry, you know, when it comes yeah. to how solid that game was. But it wasn't just that game that PlayStation ended that generation with. Because if you haven't figured it out by now, coming in at number one with 28 points, four points ahead of Ghost of Tsushima, two of us, Matt and I, picked it as our game of the year. Kyle put it at third. It's Last of Us Part Two, And Last of Us Part Two is a game that, this was my most anticipated game of the year. I, I said at the beginning of the year that Cyberpunk 2077 would be ultimately, I thought it would be game of the year ultimately. And because of the delays, it wasn't even eligible for it. But... Last of Us Part 2, I remember the excitement booting that up and playing it and seeing the combat system, and I remember the heartbreak of Joel's death early on in the game, and I 
I remember when I got to the end of my first playthrough, um, I was just sat there in silence and I almost almost couldn't believe what I'd played. And it just that's just the mark it left on me. And it's a game that takes what the first game did well. It takes an excellent combat system. It takes exploration. It takes a little bit of platforming. It takes an amazing stealth system. It takes all of that, and it improves on every bit of it, in my opinion. It it makes it even better. And that's before you even talk about the story, which I think is an incredible tale that is told about the idea of grief and the idea of revenge and how it's an endless cycle. It, it talks about the cycle of violence, how... You know, it takes one person to say enough is enough before a cycle of violence ends because at the end of the day, there will always be somebody that you wrong that will come back for you. So it's a very, very masterful game. It's a masterpiece of a game. It is the only game this year that I would have given close to a 10 out of 10. I gave it a 9.5 because I thought it was a near perfect game. Uh, I will... give my final thoughts on the game as a whole uh, after I let you two talk about it. So we'll start with you, Kyle. You kind of had the le- the uh, the leaks <laughs> ruin a little bit of the game for you, but you said ultimately that this game was still a masterpiece, and anybody that said that it was a 2 out of 10 like the review bombings did, uh, they were just wrong. Oh, absolutely. It's Yeah, I had, I had Joel's death spoiled in a Twitter comment section of a <laughs> meme of all places it wasn't even a meme about last of us it was just a meme i saw and i was like oh this is funny clicked on the comments and then boom there was a picture of joel dead and i was just mad <laughs> but <laughs> even knowing one of the biggest spoilers in the game people who canceled their pre-orders over that people who review bombed it because of that that's dumb because I still loved the way that they portrayed the story. They loved the way they portrayed these characters, and they took a risk that paid off in having you play the second half of the game as Abby. That was so interesting to me that they made you play as the person that you built up the first half of the game hating the person that you watched murder one of the most beloved characters in this series, and they showed you what it was like to put the shoe on the other foot, and they gave you a perspective I don't think anybody would have ever even thought of if they had not made you play this. It was beautiful. The way that they the way that they really showed two sides of the same coin, the way you were saying, they show that it takes one person to say enough is enough to end the violence. It was so well written. The game looked graphically impressive. I I gotta say, this game was a masterpiece. I agree, Matt. What was it about it for you? You were someone like me that you played the first game a ton. What did you love about this one? No, what I'm gonna say, what I love most about this game is how a lot of sequels tend to solve, you know follow a same cookie cutter formula that we see in a lot of sequels. We kind of expect where it's gonna go, but whereas The Last of Us Two coming off from Last of Us, it turned everything upside down. Uh, we watched all the trailers. We, we saw Abby in like one of the very first ones. Yeah. We didn't know who this was. I remember a lot of speculation, like rumors were going around that was this Ellie's mom. And I, I remember following it very closely. I didn't, no one knew who Abby was. And then Naughty Dog with the big twist at the end, which was revealing that as much as we love Joel, he was the villain. 
he became a villain at the end of the first game. Yes. He took the life of someone that we were going to see in the sequel, and therefore he was going to lose his life. And, and the way that it was done was so was so over the top, which is in, in a good way, because this character came off killing so many, so many important characters throughout the first game. And I love that father-daughter relationship we saw with Ellie and Joel in the second game, which unfortunately, due to the circumstances in the second game, is not there, but the love is still there, which you can see Joel trying his absolute hardest to show Ellie how you know sorry he was that he lied to her, which we don't know what's going on in the beginning of the game because you know Ellie's keeping her distance from Joel, and then we find out later in some flashbacks as to how she ended up finding out. And I think... It is this the perfect circle. It comes together so perfectly to tell the story of The Last of Us that I I don't even know if we even need a third game. I I, was, I mean I'm not super satisfied yes, we do. with the way the second game ended. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not super satisfied with the way the second game ended. But if that was that, I mean you know Naughty Dog did what they came out to do, and they did it great. I think this game is probably one of the first steps into some a cinematic masterpiece that we see with some of the greats uh in cinema history and i i would love to absolutely see how you know something like a last of us tv show which you know is confirmed will be like um and i also have to give a lot of credit to the crew or well, more like the, the cast of the game uh laura bailey actually won the academy uh the game awards for uh best voice uh actress in uh and Abby, which I thought was well-deserved as well. Plus, I'd love to see the fact that she got this award with how much hate she received uh, this past year for playing a character that a lot of people hated, but it's because a lot of people do not understand how the world is not all bright bright and sunny, but it's, it's a dark world we live in. And that's what The Last of Us is about. It's the realistic, gritty side of the world that uh, you know Naughty Dog has created here. So I'm super happy with the game. Um, I know a lot of, you know, the, the the developers got a lot of hate for it, but it's not deserved hate, and I really wish people would give it a chance, understand the meaning behind the way the game ends, understand that it's not always about revenge, it's about ending the cycle of revenge by doing the right thing and turning the other foot. So, uh, shout out to Naughty Dog on winning all these game awards. I agree. You know, I think that there's moments in gaming that come along and they end up giving us more than what I, I think that it takes, it takes, it takes games like this to show something about the gaming community. And, you know, I remember back when the game first came out and it got review bombed, you know, none of us really understood why we always kept asking, why is this getting review bombed? Why is it getting two out of 10? It's, it's definitely not that, you know, even if the story is bad or even if even if someone doesn't like the story i think the story is fantastic and incredibly well written but even if somebody doesn't like it there's still so much more to the game than just that that's not all that this game is so when it comes out that laura bailey who you know put her all into this is getting you know hate tweets is getting a lot of threatening messages is getting you know, is getting all of this undeserved attention for putting her all into her passion. Uh, it's disappointing. It's disappointing. And it's, it's something that I can't figure out why in this world, why in the gaming community as inclusive and as loving as I'd love to believe the gaming community is all around the world. I can't understand why 
that would happen. I can't understand why, because of a fictional character that, remind you, you're not supposed to like. The, you're, the point of the game is not to make you like her. Even that second half. It's not to humanize her. It's not to do any of that. It is to show that at the end of the day, everyone in that world was just there to survive. They had to look out for themselves first. There's always two sides to every story. The point of the game is, what would you do if somebody wronged you and committed an act of tragedy against you? Would you be able to forgive them? Or would it take would it take this journey where you go through you kill endless amounts of people to only to get there and realize that ultimately it's not worth it? That's what the game's trying to tell you. It's not that the game is poorly written. And it's not that it's a political statement because of who the main characters are. It's not because of any of that. I think ultimately that this game just goes to show that even when you've got everybody telling you that this game is not good, the real support, the real fans, the real people that this game was made for, ultimately is why it's had the success it's had. It's why it's the game of the year. It's why two of us voted it for game of the year. Ultimately, I hope there's a lesson to be learned from this, that at the end of the day, it's just video games. At the end of the day, these voice actors and voice actresses, they're just people like the rest of us. There's no point in hating someone or you know tweeting hateful stuff or you know sending hateful messages to a voice actor or voice actress because of a character they played that by the way doesn't exist. <laughs> so it's something that I've had on my mind for a while is I don't understand how anybody could hate this game, especially when you go through the Joel and Ellie sections. You know, I, I remember the first section that stuck out to me was in the beginning of the game. You know, when Joel brings the guitar to Ellie and he plays Future Days from Pearl Jam to her. And it's that moment I go back and I watch and it still leaves me in tears, man. It's still, it's an incredibly special moment. And it's moments like that where I wonder, how can anybody hate this game? How can anybody look at this and say, this is awful? You don't have to call it your game of the year. That's fine. Everybody has their own tastes. But if you don't even give it a chance, if you don't branch out, if you don't try it, you're really doing yourself a disservice. It's a masterpiece of a game. I'm very glad that it won our Game of the Year awards. That wraps up our first year as a podcast. We are very, very thankful for everybody that's listened. Uh, Obviously, we're in the holiday season. Be sure to check on all your homies, check on all your family, and love everybody. It's been a crazy year. We're almost to the end of it. We can't wait for what 2021 has in store for us, and we hope that you'll continue to listen to us. For Kyle Lynch and Matt Beck, I'm Rusty Ellis, and once again, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Side Mission Podcast. Keep up with new episodes and download your favorites in the Hints and Oakley Podcast Center.